I check the calendar. It is November the 19th, not December the 24th. So why did we just read Isaiah 9, 1 to 7? Isn't that one of the readings for Christmas Eve? And it's true. We only hear those words surrounded by Advent candles and Christmas decorations. We hear them sung in Christmas performances of Messiah. I mean, after Hallelujah, surely, for unto us a child is born is the second most popular chorus in Messiah. But we're following the narrative lectionary, and one thing the creators did on purpose was to pull some of those Old Testament scriptures out of the frame that we usually put around them so we can look at them and explore them in their own right. And one thing we have to stop doing is imagining Isaiah and other prophets standing hip-deep in the religious and political muck and mire of their time, preaching one day, about 800 years from now, we'll all be saved, and this will all make sense. So let's place Isaiah in his time, seven and a half centuries before Jesus was born. He's from the southern kingdom, and God gives him messages of judgment and warning and promise, first for the northern kingdom and then for both kingdoms, the two that used to make up a united Israel. Isaiah believes the kings and the people have turned away from God, and the kings rely far too much on armies and alliances with superpowers, and they don't rely on God. The king Isaiah knows best, Ahaz of Judah, is in a bind. The superpower of the day, Assyria, is threatening everyone in the region. The two more, most northerly parts of the northern kingdom, Zebulun and Naphtali, are already in Assyrian hands. So Ahaz has a choice. He can join the northern cousins and Syria in an alliance against Assyria, or he can make a deal with the Assyrians to defend against threatened attack from the northern cousins and their Syrian allies. So guess which one Ahaz chooses. But Isaiah rejects both options. He has a vision. He has a vision of a righteous king who will be a true descendant of David, and that brings us to the birth announcement. There's a story in Isaiah chapter 7 where Isaiah tells Ahaz, who's trying to make up his mind, that he can ask God for a sign. Maybe just this once, but he can ask for a sign. And Ahaz, oddly enough, says, no, I will not put God to the test. Isaiah says, well, okay, a child is on the way. Something that might not seem wise or safe, given the political situation. But this child is coming. After he's born, while he's still young, things will be bad, really, really bad. But the boy's name will be a sign. He'll be called Emmanuel. God is with us. 
the child is born, the son is given. Now his given name is Hezekiah, but he will grow up to live up to his prophetic name for a time. He will be Emmanuel for a time, the sign God is with us. High hopes. And those titles, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, which is literally Divine Warrior, Everlasting Father, Father of the Kingdom for many years, Prince of Peace, the Kingdom's reliable source of peace and prosperity. The titles come from the script for a coronation service, which stands on a wild premise that when God chooses a king, and the king is crowned and anointed, the king is born again. A child is born. A son of God is given to the people. And I wonder if the grown-up Hezekiah Emmanuel had second thoughts when he heard what he was supposed to be living up to. Now, when we read the Hebrew prophets, and we do a lot of that in Advent and Christmas time especially, when we read the Hebrew prophets, we have to see three layers. And let's start with Isaiah standing hip deep in the political and religious muck and mire of his time. He speaks to his situation, the place where the people stand with him, where their rulers and priests have taken them. He offers commentary, describing and interpreting events and actions, naming intentions, like a good journalist, an op-ed writer, creating and speaking what the powerful often dismiss as fake news. His commentary isn't unbiased. His prejudice toward God and against all other powers is clear. And Isaiah has something to say about just about everything. He's quick to condemn, but he also sees where there are flickers of light, where everyone else just sees darkness. He sees God in and behind every event, sometimes more than at other times. Isaiah, Isaiah sees God where others can't or won't. And the next layer is about consequences. Prophets point ahead into the near and middle distance. They announce where things are going as God sees things. So if the king and the people keep on doing what they're doing, this is what will happen. If they stop doing what they're doing, some things won't happen. Turn away from God, and you are lost. Turn back to God, and you find your way to mercy and blessing. And then the third layer has three C's. Okay, three C's, if you want to remember them. It's community, continuity, and canon. Prophets don't copyright their sermons. The stories and sermons that have been passed on as scriptures belong to the community of faith across the generations. And each generation of faithful people since Isaiah has read the words or heard them read, and each generation has found truth, made meaning from sacred texts that belong to them. And in continuity with past generations, Isaiah's words belong to us. We're the community of faith today, and Isaiah's words can speak truth to us and give us what we need to make meaning here and now. And we read Isaiah's words and the whole rest of 
with the whole rest of the Bible, around them like a frame. That's canon. Isaiah's words are our sacred scripture, and Jesus' words is the frame around the Old Testament, and any word we accept as having authority. So the first Christians, all of them sons and daughters of Abraham and Sarah, looked to their scriptures to help them understand what Jesus was all about, and they read words like Isaiah's in chapter 9, and they said, ah, Jesus fulfills that for us and for the world. He is wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace for us and for the, for the world. And when we hear Jesus say, I am the light of the world, we hear the prophet's words about light dawning in darkness. And we say and sing, Jesus is like that. Jesus is light for us and for the whole world. But sometimes we can read the ancient prophets and we can find in their commentary and their talk about consequences a word for us today, some parallels. Especially when we feel like we are living in gloom, walking in darkness, when we can't see past tomorrow, can't see far enough ahead to know where to step especially when we feel a yoke of burden on our shoulders, when we can almost hear the boots of the tramping warriors that are still far away but brought close to us every day by the news. Isaiah's people were shrouded in darkness, shadows cast by an evil empire that loomed over them for centuries. What's looming over us today? What overshadows us today? Is it the possibility of a nuclear war? Something we thought had been rendered impossible 30 years ago and more? Is it the likelihood of ecological disaster, collapse, a consequence of actions and events? Is it all now beyond any control? And can we change course soon enough? Or is it darkness that we've chosen? Is it desperation? fear. It's in our power to choose darkness over light, something Isaiah and the other prophets remind us of many, many times. So maybe this is Isaiah's message to us. Yes, darkness falls. It's real. It can be scary. A world of hurt may come with it, but we can live in the dark for a time. And though darkness may hide God from our eyes, we cannot be hidden from God, no matter how dark it may be. God may seem to have no word for us. Sometimes God is silent, but God still speaks, will speak, if we wait and listen. Sometimes God seems to be far away from us, Isaiah believes God can turn away and even threaten to walk away, but God never leaves us, never leaves us alone. You see, God keeps promises. Isaiah and the other prophets and Jesus remind us of that truth. So Isaiah can tell his people there will be light, and for them a good king will arise, a child is born, a light lit in the darkness. And Jesus can say, 
I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And before we can say that's not true, because we know we walk in darkness sometimes, maybe a lot of the time, the promise is that we will have that light. And we will know that we are not alone, even when darkness is all around us. That light can lead us toward more light. It opens our eyes to see where there's hope. The light of Christ can show us where to go and what we must do, even while it's still dark. There is light, and we will see it. It may not reveal to us exactly what we want to see, but it will show us what we need to see. In the shadow of global conflict, or of conflicts spread all over the globe, can we see in the light of Christ that peace is God's will, that peace, therefore, is possible, and that we can and must be peacemakers, praying for peace, speaking peace, teaching peace, working for peace. And in the looming shadow of ecological disaster, can we see in the light of Christ God's love for this world and the ability of everyone who loves this world to change, hard as it may be? So those things we do that destroy will be stopped and our rate of consumption will slow and decline and everything we can control will be controlled. And if you or I don't see that shadow, our children and grandchildren do. So can we push that shadow back so they can see light? With the light of Christ, we need not fear darkness, the as yet unknown, the unknowable. In the light of Christ, we see every flash of light, every sign of hope, everywhere people work together to drive the shadows back, to shine light in the gloom. Everywhere we will see prophecy fulfilled. Amen. Glory to God.